Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is my privilege to be preaching here today. So uh, I hope that you guys have all had a great week. And how about we get into the Lord's holy and inspired word? Amen? Amen. But before we do, would you join me in prayer? Lord, you're good. You're faithful. You are merciful toward us in every second, Lord, and you're gracious toward us in every second. And I pray that we would glorify you for what you've accomplished in our lives, for what you've accomplished in Calvary, Lord. And we just thank you that your work is not finished, Lord, that even now, regardless of the world that we see out there, you are still saving people. You are still moving with your Holy Spirit and affecting the hearts of sinful men, Lord. So I thank you for that your ultimate gift that you give to us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be affected by that, we'd be affected by your word, and that you would just stir up within our hearts a desire to worship you, to praise you for all it is that you have done. Lord, it's in your holy and perfect name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 All right. So today we are going to be in John chapter 4. But... Only two verses in John chapter 4. Now, as I always say, context is very important. And the segment of our scripture is coming from the overarching, um, the overarching story in John chapter 4, which is the notorious story of the Samaritan woman. How many of us have heard that story? Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at the well. What's amazing about this encounter and about this whole chapter is that this is one of the most instructive passages as far as the topic of worship goes. So what better place as we study our core value this, uh, this week, Christ-centered worship, than to look at what Christ himself says about worship, right? So it's important to note that the Samaritans were the descendants of the ancient northern kingdom of Israel. And they had intermarried with non-Israelites, and that created the Assyrian Empire, which settled in the Promised Land after 722 BC. And by the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, these Samaritans had developed a distinct theology from their Jewish brothers and sisters. You see, instead of worshiping at the temple... The Samaritans believed that the true place of worship was a mount called Gerizim. And they followed the first five books of Moses, right? Um, Genesis through Deuteronomy in an edited format that portrayed this, this worship at Mount Gerizim as absolute truth. Now today, as I had said, we're going to be speaking about our core value of Christ-centered worship But before we dive into what the text is talking about, there is something that we must get off, you know, get get out into the open. And here's that reality is that everyone here and everyone in the world worships something. You see, we have been created to worship, would you say? And the way that we see this is... Everyone around us, whether they want to willfully admit to it or not, we all hold things within our heart that we treasure above ourselves. In fact, since we have been created for this reality of worship, we see that due to sin, that this reality has been warped. And no longer are we simply just worshiping our creator, the Lord, but we are beginning to worship created things. And the fancy way of of calling this worship of created things is, It's called idol worship, right? Many of you have seen this within the Old Testament. 
as these ancient Jews continuously left the Lord and went and sought to worship idols, right? Not much has changed. Yeah, maybe your next door neighbor doesn't have, uh, doesn't go in his closet and has an idol carved out that he's worshiping, but maybe your next door neighbor worships money. Maybe your uh, next door neighbor worships the American dream. Maybe they worship any sort of thing that they put above themselves. But before I get too far ahead of myself here, it's important to note that our authority on this topic is the word of God. Amen. Amen. And the scriptural example for showing that God has created us to worship and to adore him reads as such. Hear now the word of God. The people who I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. And then he also declares, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So God has created his people with this innate desire to worship, right? And if we look into the world, we can see this innate desire to worship being expressed in many different ways. Here's a pretty interesting one. You see, there is this tribe of indigenous people in Australia who during the Second World War, you know, right, they're, they're completely uncontacted. They are living in a primal sort of way. And they began to see airplanes flying over. And of course, they don't know what an airplane is. So what did they do? They established a religion worshiping these aircrafts as they flew overhead. Notice the desire to worship even within an indigenous tribe of people uncontacted. There is something within us that desires more than just ourselves. Amen. In fact, we have people worshiping even today at the altar of fame, fortune, maybe artificial intelligence if you want to get a little out there, technology, or maybe even just the good life. So since everyone worships, we have to understand that worship comes because we all have a treasure in our heart, right? And what does the Lord say about this treasure within our heart? He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So everyone worships. And we can't escape this reality because we were simply created to worship. But make no mistake, we were not created to worship created things. We were created to worship the creator himself. Amen. So we know we're created to worship the Lord, but we also know that God is a God of order, correct? So if the Lord has called us to worship him, then we must believe as Christians that he has laid out the ways in which we are called to worship him, right? And in order to find out these ways, we need to look at what our Lord instructs the people of God to do. To truly live a life of worshiping the Lord. So are you guys ready to see how we worship the Lord? How the Lord himself instructs us to worship? I pray that you would all be blessed by this. So now let us dive into verse 23 of John chapter 4. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such People to worship him. And that finishes the reading of God's holy and inspired word here this morning. What I would like to point out initially 
is that Jesus himself declares that the true worshipers of God will worship the Lord in two primary ways. And the first way we're going to look into is this idea of worshiping in the Spirit. How many of you have heard that before? Worship in the Spirit. Sometimes we hear this word as Christians, Spirit, and we can begin to get a little bit mystical. Well, worship in the Spirit? Does that mean that someone needs to come up, put a hand on my head, and I just pass out from the Holy Spirit? No. Or, or does that mean that I need to speak in a heavenly tongue in order to be worshiping the Lord correctly? No. You see, those are not what Jesus is talking about to when he's talking about worshiping in the Spirit. In fact, what it means to worship in the Spirit is best described by this famous theologian known as Sam Storms. First off, what a cool name, right? But besides that, here's what Sam Storms has to say. To say that we must worship God in spirit means, among other things, that it must originate from within the heart. It must be sincere, motivated by our love for God and gratitude for all he is and has done. So to worship in the spirit means that our worship must be heartful and should be dictated around the Lord's characteristics and what Christ has achieved through Calvary. Amen. Amen. But you see, this is oftentimes not the reality. In fact, oftentimes within our day, specifically within American churches, we find worship only being able to occur when maybe we have a specific aesthetic or lighting or a full band. But the truth is, is that if we are worshiping our Lord for any other reason than his goodness and character, then we are falling short of what Jesus calls proper worship. You see, here's the reality, brothers and sisters, is we should not need anything else added to our lives in order to worship the Lord. Why? Because he's already given us the perfect gift himself. Amen? Proper worship should be dictated by our Lord, his beauty and his majesty and his faithfulness and his sacrifice. And when we worship him or don't worship him for any other reason, then we do so incorrectly. How many of you have heard of the famous preacher, Charles Spurgeon? This guy was, by the time he was 20 years old, how many of you remember what you were doing at 20? Maybe it wasn't good stuff, right? (laughs) Dustin shakes his head, nope, nothing good. But this guy, by the time he was 20, had preached over 600 times. That's staggering, which gave him, wow, I just stole Pastor Joe's word there. I said staggering. Someone needs to help me. I can't hang out with him anymore. No more hanging out with Joe. He's got me saying his words. But this guy was known as the Prince of Preachers because he was preaching and being used by the Lord in such a monumental way from such a young age. And he founded this church in England known as the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Now, this is like a gloriously constructed church, just a lot of that, you know, European architecture and the beauty of it. If you were to gaze upon this church, you would think, wow, this is a magnificent building. This is gorgeous and it's humongous. 
And you would probably think that, wow, this church has a huge budget probably for all the bells and whistles and for worship and all the stuff that we see, right? But you would be absolutely shocked if you walked through the front doors. And here's why. Because their whole service doesn't have a single drum, guitar, or bass. In fact, everyone has a hymnal, and one person is on piano leading a congregation of thousands of people every weekend. And every weekend, they sing loud, together, proclaiming hymns that reflect the truth of our Lord Jesus. Now, I'll I'll be honest with you here. The Redeemer's Place is not a hymnal church. In fact, we're blessed right now with my wife leading worship for us every week. And she does so on her own. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm a drummer, right? Wherever there's drums, I'm in. But... We are not a hymnal church. But if we had a worship team where we, where we could all gather and play, we would be ecstatic and we would do so. That is the ultimate goal here at the Redeemer's Place. We, we want that one day. Amen? Amen? But the truth is this, is that we should be so charged up and in awe of what our Lord has already accomplished that we could worship him even in the midst of the most horrific atmosphere and the most horrific sounds. Oftentimes we're living in a culture today where our worship is dictated by our environment, whether that's church, whether that's home, whether that's life or your job, but that is simply incorrect as far as Christ goes. And maybe you hear this and you go, dang, I really just need that hot cup of coffee and that's really when I start feeling the spirit of the Lord (laughs) that's really when I wake up that's really when I'm able to participate and praise God for coffee and its effects of waking us up Amen? amen but do you know who we see as a biblical example of worshiping in the most heinous situation David you see David was writing this psalm, and I believe it's Psalm 57, while he was on the run from Saul, whom sought not to be his buddy, not to be a cool guy to him, but sought to kill him and take his life. And as a result of this, we see that David hides out in a cave, and he pens down this psalm as he worships the Lord. Listen as I read this. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. I think it's pretty fair to say that if someone was hunting you down and you were your form of escape was to go and hide out in the Everglades where you're getting bitten up by mosquitoes and you got alligators. By the way, I really want to see an alligator. That's just a little side note. I've never seen one in the wild. Does this kind of make sense? I've never seen one in the wild that I haven't paid for, so I've come to the conclusion that they just simply don't exist. 
Everyone laughs when I say that. I don't know why. (laughs) Besides the point, if we were to live out there running from our enemies, getting bitten up by every creature and all that stuff, we probably wouldn't like it very much, right? In fact, it would... That would probably be a lot of us as our worst nightmare, including my wife. And is there's a mention of mosquito, you're not going to find her there. You, you think that's bad. Her grandma, when we go there, if I leave that door open for two seconds, she's got the sandal off. She's ready to whack me. <laughs> you see, David was in a horrible predicament, a predicament that you would think wouldn't warrant much praise. But he wasn't worried about where he was. He wasn't worried about what was happening in his life, physically, spiritually. Instead, he viewed this as a perfect time to worship. Because he was worshiping God for his goodness and mercy and his glory. And we, brothers and sisters, regardless of our environment, regardless of the hot cup of coffee, regardless if the lights go dim or they don't, we should be worshiping God simply because he has given us himself. Amen? Amen. And when we know this as gospel truth, when we know this as the reality, it shines through even the darkest of days. Those days where you can't get out of bed. You can still think. And linger upon the goodness of God that there is nothing separating you from him. And that is enough, brothers and sisters, for us to praise him eternally, wherever and whenever time of day it is or whatever location, all of it. This is more than enough. Amen. Amen. David didn't worship because it was an inspiring place. He worshiped because the Lord that he served is good. And he's good regardless if he's in a cave or in his palace because he has given us himself. Amen. Amen. This is what it means to worship God in spirit. We worship him from our hearts because of his goodness, mercy and sacrifice and glory. Any other reason to worship God besides over who he is, is not proper worship. Now we get to the second part of what Jesus talks about, and that's worshiping in truth. Now, this one is going to be a little bit easier, but what is this idea of worshiping the Lord in truth? I believe it's pretty obvious, and I believe that it means that our worship must conform to the revelation of God in Scripture. In other words, our worship must be dictated by who God is and what he is like. Our worship must be rooted in and tethered to the realities of biblical revelation. Amen? Amen. But oftentimes this isn't the case. In fact, maybe if you were to walk down the street and, you know, maybe you were to take a a poll or whatever the case is and you were to say, you know, asking the question, hey, are you a Christian? You might have people that come up to you and go, yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh, what church do you attend? Ah, (laughs) nope. I don't attend church. I just worship God on my own. Now, listen to what I say here, is that we are called to worship the Lord in our private time, amen? Amen. We should have a relationship with God outside of the four walls of this church. 
But do you know what the Lord calls believers to do? To gather with other believers. So we have people that are proclaiming to be Christians who are, who are and, and they very well could be, but we have people who are worshiping outside of what God has, how God has called us to worship, right? This is, this is a common theme. This is why we see people leaving the church, because they are under this impression that all God commands of them is just their own private worship. But if we were to look at what God has revealed through Scripture, He calls believers to gather. He calls believers to worship Him uh, you know, as a family, right? That's what He calls His people to do. Christ-exalting worship must never be mindless or based in ignorance. It must be doctrinally grounded and focused on the truth of all we know of our great triune God. Amen? Amen. To worship inconsistently with what is revealed to us in Scripture ultimately degenerates into idolatry. This is why, brothers and sisters, we have statements of faith. You know, this is why we open with a scripture reading. This is why we declare on our website what it is that we believe, because we believe that God has revealed to us through the scripture how we are to worship him and how we are to adore him, right? God is a God of order. And for us to have a church service that would be unorderly, not dictated by what he has revealed, would simply just be idolatry. In fact, what we often see is that when we are not dictated by what the Lord has revealed to us, ultimately all we're doing is making God out of ourselves. Here's what I mean. I once knew a person who would proudly declare that they're believers in Jesus. And upon further discussion, while uttering the belief that Christ is Lord... In the same sentence, they believe that Jesus, while being a way to God, was not the only way unto God. But is simply just one of many possible avenues that you could take. And my answer, was, okay, I hear you. Well, how about this? What does the Bible have to say on it? And here's what the scriptures say. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. And then lastly, our Lord says this. Maybe you're familiar. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out to find pasture. This is the word of our Lord. He doesn't say, hey guys, I'm one avenue. Do whatever you want. If you, if you guys take my avenue, that's awesome, but you can take the other ones too. No, he says that he's the only door. He is the only way unto the Father. Jesus proudly and boldly proclaims this because he knows it to be absolute truth. So do we see what the problem is? When we seek to form our own opinions about God separate from his word, 
then we're simply just worshiping ourselves. Because the God we're worshiping is not conformed and it is not the God we are worshiping is not being dictated by his word, but it's simply being dictated about our, uh, by our imagination. When we worship God outside of what he has revealed, outside of what he calls true and proper worship, when we worship him outside of his characteristics, then we're not really worshiping God. We're simply worshiping who we wish God would be. And that's not right. How often have you read a thing, you know, maybe you've been reading your Bible and you open it up and you read a passage and maybe you start to, ooh, I don't know what I think about that. Well, that's a good place to be because when you read your Bible, you shouldn't go, whew, got my reading done, throw that thing over there and let me just continue about my day. No, it should, it should cause a little bit of discomfort within us. The word of the Lord is a sword, amen? So we see that when we study the scriptures and maybe we encounter a side of the Lord that he reveals there and we begin to become uncomfortable, good. Wrestle with it because that shows that you're wrestling with the true Lord rather than the Lord you wish him to be. You know how we can primarily see this? Is when even unbelievers will simply just say, well, I don't believe that, that God is going to, to condemn me or anything, right? Because God is just a God of love. But what do we see in the scripture? That God's primary characteristic is holiness, right? He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, right? So what we see is that since God's primary characteristic is holiness, then he cannot unpunish sin. Sin completely goes against his holiness. So if God did not justly punish sin, then he's not holy, but we try to remove that, right? And we just try to say that God is a God of love. And we, and we just pull from Scripture and we pull there and, and we pull here. And we don't look at the unified revelation of what God has given us. And as a result, we're just worshiping an ideal that we have up here. And that is as simple as it gets to what idol worship is. And it happens everywhere. So our worship is to be dictated by truth. Our worship is to be dictated by the truth that the scripture has revealed in regards to the Lord that we serve. Amen. Amen. Worship is not meant to be formed by what feels good, but by the light of what is true. Because here's the truth. Some days you're going to come here. Maybe it was today and the worship's going to start. And everyone's going to start singing, but maybe you're not going to feel like singing. Maybe you're going to be like, wow, I really didn't want to get out of bed this morning. I was really cuddled up in my bed. I could have crashed for a couple more hours. But here's the truth is we don't worship God because it's convenient. We don't worship God because it's always going to be the perfect atmosphere. We worship God because he is worthy of it no matter what. Amen. Amen. So here's what I would like to close with a couple of questions. And we can ask ourselves this this week. It's kind of a good framework to see where we're at and and, and gives us a thing to pray over. But a couple of questions we could ask is, do I worship the Lord because of who he is or because of who I hope for him to be? 
If nothing in your life from this moment on improved, instead it just went downhill. You go to the doctor, you get a bad diagnosis. Maybe you're just, you know, maybe something happens to your house or your property or whatever the case is, or your family and things just start going downhill. Would you be able to look unto God and worship him still? Even when everything has fallen out. Or would you raise your fist up to the heavens and go, God, you're not doing the right thing, so I'm withholding my worship. Let us not be that way. Why? Because whether we're in a cave or whether we're in the most beautiful paradise on earth, our worship should be the same. Because regardless of the circumstance, the perfect triune God came and put flesh on and paid your price for sin. Nothing will take that away. That is why we worship. So that's the first question. Do I worship the Lord because of who he is or who I hope for him to be? And the second one is, am I worshiping the Lord for his goodness alone? Brothers and sisters, sometimes we walk around, myself included, and we begin to think that God owes us something. In fact, when I was younger, when I was about 17 or 18, I was, it's actually a pretty cool story. Um, me and, and my future wife, we were, we were kind of dating at that point, but we were not mature enough to handle it. And it folded, right? As, as is normal when you're 17 or 18. And I would go to this part of my neighborhood when I was living in Cooper City with my parents at the time. And there was these tennis courts or these racquetball courts. And I would go there on my hands and knees and I would pray. And I would pray and I would pray and I would pray. But in my prayers, I was not thanking God for his goodness. I was simply making requests. And I wasn't just making requests. I was making requests like he owed me the answer for it. So I would go there because I was, I was being taught that as much as you would pray for it to continue to have faith until it happened. And don't let God tell you no. Right? That you can almost twist the sovereign arm of God to give you what it is that you want. Super horrible theology. But I believed it wholeheartedly. And I prayed there for months and for months and for months. And everything went the opposite direction. Our relationship didn't last. Things moved on. All that sort of stuff. And it seemed that the more I was praying, the more things were going the opposite direction. And eventually that led me to go, why am I even praying? The Lord's not answering the way I'm, you know, he, everyone told me he was supposed to answer. So what am I doing here? And then I began to get bitter and angry because God wasn't providing my wishes, right? And then one day I was sitting in my backyard. And I was just looking up toward the sky and, and began to talk to the Lord. And, and that's when it hit me that he doesn't owe me anything. That the fact that I can breathe. That the fact that the Lord has not condemned me where I stand is worthy of his praise. Amen? Amen. The fact that you woke up with grace being showered over you rather than his wrath is, is more than enough to praise him. Amen? Amen? And that's when the Lord had hit me. That it's not about what you receive from him that makes him worthy. It's about what he's already given and that's what true and proper worship is. Is it's dictated 
from a heart posture that seeks to honor God, knowing that we are so sinful yet so loved that we can't even comprehend and we dictate it around his word. This is what Jesus calls true and proper worship. So brothers and sisters, let us ask these questions and let us change and dwell upon who he is and pray that he would change us from the inside out to worship him and love him more and praise him just as I do in the book of Revelation. Worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. He's worthy, amen? Amen. And let's, let this church be a place where we joyfully sing his praise. Not because the coffee's hot or because the songs are amazing, but because and simply because our Lord has finished his good and faithful work. Amen. Amen. Let this church glorify the Lord in spirit and in truth. And let us enjoy him as we strive to worship him daily. Amen. This is what we hold to, worshiping the Lord, Christ-centered worship in spirit and in truth. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, you're faithful, you're good, and your mercy is abundant on us weary sinners. I pray that you would just mold us more into your image and that we could come to worship you, Lord, and we would have a sense of revival, a sense of of newness when we can look unto your sacrifice and be filled with joy, Lord, and be filled with praise because nothing here can take that reality away. So for all of us who are struggling, and many of us are, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that there is joy to be found in your sacrifice, that there is praise to be found there, and there is praise to be found in your promises that you promise to sustain us, to carry us, to mold us more into your image, and to take care of your children, Lord. I pray that you would just minister to us that truth, and you would allow us to worship you in spirit and in truth. It's in your holy and perfect name. And everyone said, Amen. Would you receive this benediction from the Lord's word? To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only one God, be honor. And glory forever and ever. And everyone said, Amen. Would you rise up and worship the Lord here?